0: I do invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of today's gospel lesson. It comes from the gospel according to St. Matthew. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just as when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, "'Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus.'" for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until after she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. A quick mention for those who might have come in late or who are joining us right now by means of WSFA, we do look forward to our Christmas Eve services. Uh, In less than a week from now, we'll have a noon communion service here. Uh, We have a 315 family service. It's called the um, All is Not Calm, But All is Bright family service. You want want to be a part of that. It's a lot of fun. And then at 5 and 7... Uh, our traditional candlelight services, where we raise uh, the light of Christ into the darkness, is one of the most powerful uh, experiences that we have here in this sanctuary throughout the year. We are going to stream all of those live uh, on, rent, on some of the stations here locally and then re air those at 6 p.m. Uh, for those Uh, planning to attend the 5 p.m. and the 7 p.m. service, you know that there's room at the end for everyone. Uh, But lighting 1,200 candles in close proximity, it takes faith to a whole different level, doesn't it? You know what I mean by that. And I was thinking about a story. I shared this with the 845 crowd, uh, a story of a a preacher who served a congregation much like this. The building was neo-Gothic, and at this time of year, they had the poinsettias and the trees and and the creche, and the choir was doing its tremendous work, just like ours does. They had the candles in in the windowsills, but they didn't have cameras like like we do. So he invited a freelance uh, videographer to come and stand on on the side over here and shoot some video of the upcoming uh, Christmas Eve service. The challenge is they didn't have globes on their candles like we do, And so the videographer got too close, and the next thing you know, his coat is on fire, right? And someone goes over there and and snuffs him out, and the preacher comes back and settles everything down. And the first thing out of the preacher's mouth, now there's a man who's on fire for Jesus, right? We want you to come early next week and be on fire for baby Jesus, not literally, but come and be safe, and we'll have a great time together. This is the last Sunday in the Advent season. Advent 4 is where we are. Our series is, it has been entitled, it is entitled, Faith Over Fear. What are the components of faith that help us uh, remove fear from, from our lives? And we've said hope does that and peace does that. Joy does that. I'll, I'll preach that on Christmas Eve. And today we focus on, on love, love over fear. I first met Reverend Audrey Rogers in Dr. Tom Long's class at Candler School of Theology at at Emory, and and Dr. Long was a tremendous professor of homiletics, and he gave us so much insight about how to prepare and develop and craft and deliver sermons. And one of the pieces that I'll never forget that he shared with us is something that his homiletics professor in a Ph.D. program shared with him, and that is, if possible, never use the word love in a sermon. Now how does one do that when love is kind of important to the biblical story about God and people, right? And what in the world am I thinking entitling this love over fear? Well, what Dr. Long said is the word love has, in our culture, it's become so watered down. It's soft, it it lacks commitment, it lacks power, it lacks longevity, It's, it's all gooey in the middle like a s'mores on a cold night the marshmallow. We throw it around, that word love, kind of flippantly, like it's a, a quarter, and over time it's just losing its luster. And the action of love is so nuanced. When we say love over fear, what do we mean? Because we love our pets, and our, our children, and our sports, and we love our, our pizza. We don't love them all the same way. So. And the Beatles, they sang, all you need is love. Of which love were they speaking? We sing and we say and we proclaim that love came down at Christmas, but what kind of love came down at Christmas to eradicate fear? Hmm. In John's first letter, he says, there is no fear in love. And the word he uses is, is agape. That's a foreign word, too. We use that word a lot, too. There's no fear in love, says John. Perfect love drives out fear. For this reason, we might say there's no room in the manger for love and fear to coexist. How about that? There's room for a donkey and a sheep and, a, and, a, and all this stuff, but there's no room for love and fear. Not here, and not in the mangers of your hearts either. So let's do this. Love is such a broad, abstract term. Let's Let's put uh, some legs on it. Let's use the word sacrifice instead. Sacrifice over fear. That's the way Jesus would have talked about it. That's certainly how Jesus lived his life, is sacrificing over fear. If you want to see perfect love that drives out fear, look for the places where someone is giving of oneself to something greater than oneself for the sake of, of another human being sacrifice is the message of advent it's the message of christmas sacrifice is the message of lent it's the message of easter it's the message of pentecost giving oneself for the sake of saving someone else that's love that's sacrifice sacrifice is what came down at christmas sacrifice is what birthed Christ into this world. It was the mission of Christ from his very first breath. Sacrifice is the disciples' call. Sacrifice is the mission of the church. Sacrifice is the womb by which Jesus and his church were born. If we ponder it, as the Holy Family did, we learn what sacrifice over fear means. Mary and Joseph remind us of that every time, every, each time this year, of what sacrifice, generosity, giving up one's plans, foregoing one's future, because God has, has intervened into their lives. And each year at the same time, Blake Corn comes and he speaks and he reminds us that the front lines of ministry working with family dynamics and and blended families and broken families and no families, just a child, all these complicated and unexpected and oftentimes painful dynamics are the exact opportunity that God can use the church to sacrifice. And so we do something kind of crazy around here on Christmas Eve, if you're new or if you're a guest with us. Uh, On Christmas Eve, at all four of the services that I just mentioned, we take up an offering but we give it all away because we believe in sacrificing so that a child or a youth or a young adult at risk can have a shot in life. That's the Christmas story, right? That's the story of the cross. That's the story of the the lost sheep. It goes on and on. It's the story of Scripture. It's the story of of our faith. And that's that's why we need to make some more room within the mangers of our hearts and and let go of fear and let go of anger and, and let go of chaos because we get to... We get to assist the Mary and Josephs in this world who are risking it all to give a kid a chance. But we, we get to become Mary and Joseph too by saying, let it be, Lord, with me according to your will. I've been reading a lot about Mary this week and Joseph. To do so, one has to lay alongside uh, Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel because in the music and in the children's plays, we tend to smash those two things together to understand the infancy narrative. Uh, Luke, for example, talks more about Mary. Matthew spends more time on Joseph. Luke centers on a virgin. Uh, Matthew centers on a vision. Mary is a ponderer. Do you know that about Mary, the mother of Jesus? She ponders. Isn't that a great word? Joseph, as we learned today, is is a dreamer. Sacrifice over fear has its own womb, the womb of pondering like Mary, the womb of dreaming like Joseph. Mother Mary whispers words of wisdom, let it be. She teaches us to ponder anew what the Almighty can do. But there's a tension here pondering and dreaming. They kind of stand in tension, don't they, with certitude and absolutism. We can thank the Enlightenment for that, science and reason, both of which we need for human advancement. I love science. It helps us travel the world and travel around the world it, now. In the International Space Station, it gives us cool gizmos and And gadgets, but ultimately it'll disappoint us because it also creates forces of destruction. And reason helps us think critically and solve problems and develop peace in places where it doesn't exist, but it's gonna let us down too, our reason, because it has a tendency to create us and them winners and losers through debate. All of these are, both of these are important to human advancement, science and reason they are, but neither can feed your soul, right? So we need a new way of trusting, a new way of seeing, a new song to sing. And, and I think it's in, in that chaos, in that moment of unknown, in that uncertainty that God decides, I'm going to break in again into your world and into your life. And what I'm calling you to do is to ponder and to dream together. And from there, sacrifice will be born. Joseph is scared to death. I'm, you know that about him. He He's a righteous man. He wants to do what's right. And so what God does is turn Joseph into a dreamer. He knows the past is gone. The future has changed. So he just sits in this moment, takes a nap. Who sits in this moment trying to figure out what God is up to. Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament professor, says that dreams in the Bible are always God's intrusion into a settled world. I don't know if that's true. It seems like... God intrudes into unsettled worlds to bring about transformation. I just wonder if we can learn from this this holy family who who were scared, who who ended up on the run, did they not? Fleeing to an entirely different country to spare Jesus' life, leaving everything behind to go to a different country for two years to sacrifice. I think a lot about Joseph on this particular Sunday. I think about the sacrifice that he must have had to have made so that Mary and Jesus would have been spared. It's not difficult to imagine how complicated their, their relationship was It was most likely an arranged marriage. Uh, Based on the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, Mary could have lived in Nazareth. Joseph, his hometown was Bethlehem. They could have lived separately by some scholarship. And so they had this long-distance relationship. Can you imagine Joseph going to check on Mary and she's pregnant? Can you imagine the anger and the disappointment, the fear? What's the small town going to say? Joseph lived in a small town. Mary lived in a smaller town. (laughs) What would they say? What would they do? What would they think? Did you know that under the Torah law, Joseph had every right to to walk away, but also to have her stoned publicly? And had he turned over this news, hey, you know, Mary's pregnant, but the child is, is not my child, He would have handed her into the hands of those who had done the same, and Jesus too. But Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. He didn't give in to fear. He didn't flee. He didn't give in to his resentment or to his anger or the the lack of control that he had over the moment. He was hurt, but he refused to let Mary and vulnerable Mary and Jesus be placed into the hands of others. So he did something that was kind of odd. He decided to break off the engagement. Did you pick up on that? He decided to break it off, assuming that in a few weeks, a few months, the town would realize that Mary was, in fact, showing, and with child, and pregnant, assuming that it was Joseph. But Joseph had had left, you see, at that point. Joseph took on the shame rather than exposing Mary to public disgrace. Why in the world would Joseph restore Mary in such a sacrificial way? Giving her back to her family. She gets to keep the dowry, probably even the, not only the betrothal dowry, but the wedding dowry as, as well. She could even go on to marry sometime in, in the future if she wanted to. And Joseph said, no, I'll just take all this on my shoulders. Why would Joseph do? What causes a human being... To give up oneself so that another might have a chance at life. That's a question for Christmas. That's a question for Christians. That's a question with which we all need to wrestle. During another season of the liturgical calendar, we sing, What Wondrous Love Is This, O My Soul? We sing it during Lent. But if we look at Joseph's life and Mary's life, what we see are the notes are beginning to form on the page before Jesus is ever born. What wondrous love, sacrificial love is this? What causes another human being to give his or her time, talents, treasure, resources so that someone else has a shot at life? Here's the thing, during Joseph's darkest days on earth, God began working within Mary's womb to bring the light of the world into this darkness. And what he's doing through this dream is he's inviting Joseph to be part of that story. Inviting Joseph to be part of that story. You know, Joseph goes on to adopt Jesus. We heard that at Children's Minute. And the reason he needs to do that is Messiah is said to come from Bethlehem, this house of bread, That's what Bethlehem means. The house of bread, where the bread of life would rise to power through service, of course. So here's Joseph. His line of David secured by adopting Jesus as his own, by registering him and his family in Bethlehem, sacrifice over fear. It took an adoptive father and a surrogate mother to sacrifice everything for God to birth salvation into this world through Jesus Christ. Two newlyweds who were bold enough to ponder, to dream, and then to say yes. We had a wedding right here yesterday. It was the second wedding we've had during the Advent season. This time we have an explosion of poinsettias here, and I love every single one of them here. We have these stately and warm trees that welcome us to worship. And we're standing here with this couple yesterday and all the congregation and their families and bridesmaids and groomsmen are all around. We have this picturesque nativity as a a backdrop and it just dawned on all of us in that moment. (laughs) Here's this young, giddy couple with all their hopes and dreams out in front of them. They decided to get married during the busiest time of the season as a way of pausing to say, Lord, what would you do with our lives? How would you be born through this new couple? How would you intervene into the lives of Emma and John David like you did with Mary and Joseph so long ago so that Christ can be born through their own story? And what was so powerful in that moment under this arch where the holiest moments in in my life and in yours happen we realize this season that love in its purest form is vulnerable, like like a child, it's humble and sacrificial, like Mary and Joseph who lay it all on the line, who are willing to ponder, who are willing to dream, and who are willing to say yes. It's powerful to me. Joseph, he only has a couple of cameo appearances, and not a single word that he spoke in this world is recorded in Scripture. He's silent. He falls off the pages in the Gospel a little bit later. And, you know, we don't sit here and say, Hail Joseph, full of grace, All right, like we do Mary. He's like, poor guy. But hey, I want to tell you something. I think that's the point of sacrificial love conquering fear that we, like Joseph, are called to simplify life and to live humbly and to do what God asks us to do even if it costs more than we're willing to give. So I think the question for the church in this season is are we willing to ponder and to dream and to awaken and to say, yes, we will live sacrificially as a church for the sake of another human being having a shot in life because Christ is born into the mangers of our hearts and into this world. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. God, I ask you in this moment that we consider the sacrificial love of Mary and Joseph, and how with all the fears they must have experienced, with the chaos and the tumult and all the what-ifs, all the gossip, all the times they said, well, you know, we should do this. This is what the law says, but wait a minute. There's a child who's going to be the light of the world. I thank you for Mary and Joseph, this holy family who teach us sacrificial love. And I thank you for Embrace Alabama kids that give us a chance to support Mary's and Joseph's and communities all over this state. And then, then, Lord, help us to be like Mary and Joseph, to ponder, to dream, to awaken, and to say yes this year. Yes, Lord, you're welcome at this inn. Yes, Lord, you may have the manger of this heart. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.